it's always been interesting to me to think about you put something in a documentary and it's not just that you're telling a story, but you're also asking people to sit and watch it. And when they sit and watch it, they may be having their own bodily response. And how are you moving it? I guess what I'm trying to say is that the documentary as a form to me is sort of the experience of it and the performance of it starts with all the things that happen in the making and all the way until the experience of the person who watches it. You're listening to The MILF Podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the milfiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, it's Jennifer Tracy. I'm your host of MILF Podcast. Today on the show, we have Sarah Lamb joining us. She is a documentary filmmaker and a mother of two. We talked about her film, her latest film, Thank You for Coming, which is about her journey to find her biological father who was a sperm donor. Sarah didn't know until she was 29 years old that she came from a sperm donor. The film is incredible. I got to watch it over the weekend. It's, it's wonderful. And it is going to be coming to a theater near you sometime soon. We'll give details about how to find out uh, at the end of the episode. And you can also check it out on milfpodcast.com. Sarah and I also talked about the definitions of love and what binds family together. If it's not DNA, what is it? So I hope you enjoy the podcast today. Thanks for tuning in. Sarah Lamb. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Really excited to have you today. I had the pleasure of viewing your film, Thank You for Coming, over the weekend, which is an incredible, beautiful documentary about you finding your biological father, who was a sperm donor. Among many things within the context of that film and you being a filmmaker, I wanted to ask you like, how making that film has shaped your relationship to your own family, your children and your husband and your, your parents. The film sort of starts at the point, well, it, it tells the story of me finding out that I was conceived by a sperm donor at 29 and then embarking at the age of 40 on the search for finding my bio dad. And I think for that intervening 11 years, from the time I found out till the time that um, I went looking, I had a kind of internal sense of being afloat in a certain kind of way that it was very, what I knew is that I, anything could happen in the future. I didn't know that my past could change. And so mm. when I found out that I was donor conceived, all of a sudden it was like everything I knew was a was upside down. And not only that, my sense of having a genetic connection to back to my family, mm. that was over. And so I found myself saying, it felt like I was just missing a part of me in a kind of way. And then not long after I started having children. And so even though I had been wanting to search for the donor and the methodology was totally different at that point in time, like Ancestry and 23andMe and all those DNA websites didn't exist. And I don't even know if the donor sibling registry existed, which is a website that helps connect people who are conceived via sperm donor with half siblings or with, with their donors and vice versa, donors, donors with their offspring. So none of that existed in the landscape that I stepped into, although maybe the DSR did. 
I couldn't figure out what to do. And I had kids and I was really busy and I was making other films. Um, and so it was just this kind of gnawing feeling of that really, I mean, at its most simple was kind of like, who am I? Where do I come from? In a kind of way. Also have to say in the context of being a child of divorce um, and also having lost my mom as a 10-year-old. So it was a lot of different kinds of sort of familial disruptions in my background that then as I was like embarking on making my own family, I think became very present in my sort of present day reality. Sure. As these things do when we have children, it yeah. seems to bring up our own, our childhood yeah, every step along the way. Yeah, for sure. Within that, and I was going to jump to this later, but now it's perfect timing. There's a moment in your film where you confront your father, your, the, the father that raised you, who is your father. It's a beautiful moment. And I love that you put it in the film because it's very confrontive. You confront him at his kitchen table about how he defines family. I'm paraphrasing. And he, he can't really answer. And you press him further and you say, because you left two families he still couldn't answer. And I'm wondering what was that like for you on the other side of the lens, like having that conversation and having the relationship that you now still have with your dad, you're very close. What was that like for you? Well, can we back up and let me ask you, you use the word confront, talk more about yes. that. Okay, good. Because it's a good question. So, cause it, like you didn't let him off the hook is what I'm saying. You didn't let him just kind of give the answer he was giving, which was, which was, I don't know, you know, family is family or it just is what it is. It, you wanted a deeper answer and you wanted, it, I felt watching the film that you wanted an answer as to why did you leave and why did you leave twice and what does that mean for you and what does that say about what family means for you? And he was very squirmy. He couldn't answer. It's a big question, right? It's a what huge do, question. What do, we, what do we owe our partners? What do we owe our children? Yeah. Do we owe them? You know, what, yeah. what, how, how do we as um, individuals make sense of our relationships um, and our vows and our commitment to family? Um, and what does it mean to extricate oneself and, and to do that multiple times? Yes. I'm still very interested in that. And, yeah. I, and it's not that I meant to confront him and say, you shouldn't have done this. Right but talk more about it. Right. And I got that to be clear. I didn't, it didn't feel like you were a daughter confronting your father saying, dad, why'd you do this to me? You were just genuinely as a documentary filmmaker, making a film about your own history at the end of the film. And you can help me remember exactly the line, but you say something in voiceover. I don't know what makes a wife no longer a family, but a daughter will always be family. Oh, let's see. How's it go? It goes, I, I want him to explain to me how a wife can stop being family, but a daughter can't. Thank you. And I think the impulse to ask that question is you can't say that it's biology. How is it that people can leave their partners with whom they have children and maybe never even speak? again yeah or or have a kind of animosity between them that renders their former relationship you know 
useless or over or, or null and void. Null and yeah. void. Null yeah. and void. Perhaps there's this sense that someone is always your parent, no matter what, and or someone is always your child, no matter what. And and does that in my case, I was really thinking about the genetics of it. And if I'm not biologically related to him, what is it that binds us together? Mm. And if he was able to to separate from my mom and later my stepmom and really walk in a completely different direction from those two women, um, you know, like I don't think he has any, well, my mother died, but but even then, you know, he was building a new life. And then, when, and then with my stepmother, he hasn't spoken to her in many years. And yet I do. Mm. And you still have a relationship with her? I do. Yeah. And a, and a really nice one, a really meaningful one mm. to me. So what is it that says that, um, that he and I are meant to stay mm. in contact with one another? And my sense is that there is something mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What is that? And can can we articulate what what is the relationship between a parent and a child? And what do we um, endeavor to give each other? And and especially for me as a grown daughter, I think that was part of my question: is what what are we to each other? What do you look to me for? I was asking my dad in in a kind of way. Yes. Um, what do you look to me for? Yes. And then the same thing for my on my part, you know, what 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 are you as my father? And that was in a context of, you know, family secrets and um feeling like I was trying to understand his choices in life. And what's been beautiful and really interesting is that in the course of asking these kinds of questions and and asking him about what it was like for him to keep the secret all those years that yeah. he was not my biological father. Yeah. I feel, and I, and I think he would probably say the same thing, although I haven't asked him and I probably should, I feel that we've become closer. Mm. And I think that that's the big lesson mm. is in risking like the true intimate questions and then having been sort of miraculously met by the, by my dad who was willing to answer them yeah is a beautiful piece of parenting yes. by the way yes um to be willing to answer the hard questions that yeah. your kids come and ask you to yeah. the, to the degree that you can yeah on on film by the way on film in, for a movie which oh. and and just to add to that you know and the film is so beautiful i'm hoping that we can tell people where they can see it yeah you i can see and i could feel that closeness between you and your father. And it was, it was profoundly. And, and I also was lucky enough to actually meet your dad a couple of weeks ago in person. And so to kind of connect that and then now know this whole backstory was just really moving and to see how close you are and how he just adores you. And the simple answer for him was, you're my child and I just love you. And I just want to love you. And I want to be, I want to have you in my life. That's what I got from it ultimately. But what I meant to go back to the confronting was like you were pressing him for a deeper answer, deeper, 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 which is your job as a documentary filmmaker. And it was, it was hard for him. It was really cool to watch how you unfolded that piece. And now to hear you talk about like, you know, asking those hard questions and then having them answered. And, and so speaking of which. Can I just interrupt? Cause please. you're making me think about that, yeah. that in some ways, I think there's a, 
there's a question embedded in the film, and I don't even know if you have you ha- or any viewer having watched it would think about it, but I, but it's certainly something that I think about, which is how does love behave? Ugh. You know, like yeah. we can say, "Oh, I love you," or "I want love," yeah, or you know, but like, but what is that in action, and what does that look like? Um, and yeah. what does that look like in the context of family? Yes. And I don't mean to say that it means that people who shouldn't be together stay together. Yeah. Um, that's not the kind of love that I'm talking about. But what does love, how does love work when it's embodied? Yes. By people who are in relationship to yes. each other. And and I would say like in some really uh, essential way, that's sort of a seed in the film. Yeah. I got it. No, I was just going to say, because (laughs) at the end of the film, I think it's the last line. You're on the beach with your dad and your kids and your husband, and you guys are flying a kite. I'm going to get emotional. I cried several times watching the film. (laughs) It was just really, really, really beautifully done. And I know how hard you worked on it. There's a line at the end where you say, you're, you're talking about what you were just talking about a moment ago about what connects us? What binds us? What makes one one family member able to stay in contact with another and one able to leave? And you say something like this, and you'll help me again because I'm paraphrasing. If our children ask us, my husband and I have talked about, our children ask us, what is that thing? If we're honest, we'll answer love. So to me, that connects to what you were just saying mm-hmm. about how does love behave? Mm-hmm. Love is that that thing that you choose to bind with. Mm-hmm. I just, I just read a fantastic definition of love via uh, bell hooks who was writing about, um, who was actually quoting M Scott Peck who wrote the road less traveled. Oh, yeah. And his definition is love is the willingness to extend oneself for the sake of one's own or another's spiritual growth. Mm, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. And then you could ask yourself, well, what is it to extend oneself? What is that? So what now that let's mean? talk about motherhood. Great. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> Perfect segue. So, and, and just that, that quote that you just said, that, uh, that definition of love, boy, I mean, I know I have felt overextended as a mom and boy, have I grown spiritually mainly against my will in some some ways because I, there's just no choice it's like i'm being stretched to the max and yet at the end of the day it's deepened me and and i'm so grateful to be my son's mom and i tell him that i'm so lucky i get to be your mom even though many times i want to pull my hair out i want it to stop i want to get off the merry-go-round and you said something to me i'm going to quote you i was at your house a couple months ago and you said you were home alone with the kids for a couple of weeks your husband was out of town on uh, a job. And you said, it's just like being harassed 24 hours a day. <laughs> Do you remember saying it that? It is. <laughs> I, I often have this image of like um, running an obstacle course and like you can see all the obstacles and you, maybe you're like jumping over and then you're going under and then you're on your elbows going through the mud. But then there are all these like um, elves and fairies and <laughs> other like kind of magical creatures who like also throw these like completely random things in the path as well. So maybe like somebody will shoot an arrow at you. And then, and then if you, re- you know, and then like somebody will drip, drop a dirty diaper in your bath and then somebody will be like throwing up on the brand new carpet that you just got. And then, you know, and it's like the, 
I, I sort of think about ki- kids like expand. You you were a cube before, and there were only like six surfaces facing outward. Then you have two more kit, you know, two kids, and now you have you know what is that eighteen surfaces yes. all facing out, and so each one of those surfaces in my mind is like um, where something unpredictable can occur. Yes. Oh. And it's that, that like, how am I going to keep up today with the constant demands, the, they're yelling, the fighting, the permission slip that has to get signed, <laughs> the where's my belt for baseball, <laughs> the, you know, and now I just, um, it, it and then the, the bodily fluids that yeah. are just spontaneously <laughs> ejected on all surfaces at random times. From the dog and the kid. Right? It's like, it's really a lot. It's so insane. I don't know how any of us It's so insane. And you try to, I mean, I have tried to explain it. I know like grownups who don't have kids and they can't. No. You can't, you can't fathom the. Insanity um, of it. The frequent harassment. Yes. That rare time where you can be in a flow state. Yeah. Because it's just like constantly yes. interrupted. Yeah. Um, and I've got to think, I, I would love to see like the brain scans. <laughs> the sci- I want the science <laughs> to come and tell us what is happening to our brains. And what would you imagine it would look like if we saw brain scans of like your brain and then your friend who's never had kids? I think it would be super, I think it would be really different. And I also want to see the brain's of these monks that are like lauded as being like so equanimous, equanimous, <laughs> full of equanimity. I want to see what happens if you threw them in a room with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe their nervous systems would lower the nervous systems of the kids. It could be. And that, and that in fact, the kids would really calm down yeah. in the presence of a nervous system. I wouldn't even be throw them in a room. It'd be throw them in a house. For a month and a half. Yes. Yes. Put them in a house. That would be a, the science experiment that and I would like to do. also a great reality show. Yes. Put them. We should make that happen. Oh my God. Right? Tomorrow. Yes. The monk. A monk, two toddlers, and a dog. And an incontinent dog. Yeah. And and like, but he has to do all the stuff They're that we have stuff. to do. All the stuff. Yeah. Get them to school. Yeah. Pack the lunches. I would watch that show. I, I would, would binge watch, watch that show. I would watch that show every day. <laughs> if it was on a live feed, I would watch it. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing this right now. We, we would just be, be watching, watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's perfect. Wow. So, and yet, like, I watch you, I get to watch you parent because our kids go to school together. There won't be next year, but they went to school together for the last four years. And, um, and yet what's so fascinating to me is seeing you. I mean, obviously I don't live with you and see you on the day to day, but I know a little bit about how you parent and it's so graceful in that you really have this beautiful allowing for your children to be who they are. And it's very easy. I know for me, like I have to catch myself, for example, my son does not like to be rushed. He was four days late coming out of me. He, in the morning, it's like, don't rush me to get dressed. Do not tell me one more time to get dressed. I don't want, I'm doing this thing. I don't want it to, which is very difficult when you're living in a world where school starts at 845. 
you know, we have to get in the car by this time to go. And so in terms of those kinds of things, I've had to learn to embrace who he is, but also work with the boundary of it. And it would be very easy for me to be punishing or angry or, and it's hard not to be when I'm just like fried and feeling harassed. And so I don't know if I'm making sense, but like, there's this grace that I see you carry of like the way that you parent and it's evident in your kids. Like they're just, there's, they're so authentic in who they are. They're not trying to be anything else. Well, I think we all have our good moments and our bad moments, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, as you're talking about Bloom's getting ready for school, yeah. are you saying Bloom's? Or yeah, you're just saying your son? I'm picturing like, I have a battle with my daughter about her hair uh. and it's awful. Like, why can't I just let it be what it is, but it makes me so... What's the battle? I didn't... I, I want it to be washed. Oh. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like washing it. She doesn't like washing it. and Or she washes it and she doesn't rinse the <laughs> stuff out. So it looks greasy. <laughs> it, it makes me so crazy. And then I can remember, like, I had aunts who would always complain about the way that my hair looked. Interesting. And I hate that I'm replicating this like hair shame, you know? <laughs> and I also like it in my spine, you know, like it's yeah. in my bones where I'm like, yeah. you must, yeah, you must wash the hair. Now, and do I'm you coming think, in with you. To do you wash think it. that's DNA? I don't know. What is it? The just the fact that you're it, you're replicating something that you did as a child. She's replicating the behavior, right? Because you didn't wash your hair as a no, child. No, it was different. Oh, it different. was different. It okay. was probably different hair issues. Got it. But still, the hair obsession. Hair, yeah, long and stringy. Yeah, get it out of your face. Yeah, wash it. Get it clean. Make it floofy. Yeah, you know, like if some friend of hers came over and had hair that looked exactly the way hers did, I wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. Right. It's like these things that sort of push or like yeah. the, the fingernails, like cut the fingernails, yeah. please. I yeah. can't look at the long, but whatever, like that's yeah, yeah, not, yeah. and it's, it's hard when you have these like things that, yeah. Or like sitting at the table and trying to do table manners. And there are moments where I just look across the table at my husband. I'm like, this is so disgusting. <laughs> like I can't eat at the table with these people <laughs> anymore. Like what? Give me one example. (laughs) It's all, but, but, but if I'm not careful, I can make every meal into a hideous experience. Of course. And make it shameful for them and make it feel really like they don't want to come sit down at the table with me. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I try to be aware of it, but anyway, I'm just saying I, for all the wins there, there are some losses in terms of like my ability to be mindful and spacious and allow them. Yes. I mean, you don't want a kid who like has really bad table manners either. Right. So how do you negotiate? Yeah. It's a both and. It's a both and. (laughs) How do you extend yourself for their growth spiritually and at the table? Oh my gosh. So you grew up in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. only child. Mm -hmm. You, then what happened? Graduate high school. Graduate high school, stayed. I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, stayed there for college, left New York. I mean, left North Carolina, moved to New York, um, worked in New York in the fashion industry as a model for a number of years. Right. Someone just told me, I didn't know this bit of trivia, but that you were a J. Crew model. Is that true? Real? Is that true? It's true. Ah, That's 
That's so cool. True. That's true. Why do you why do you roll your eyes at it? it I don't know. Feel- I think I think I've like separated out the fashion part of my life from at the same time I was making theater and doing um kind of like comedic performance art and I in my head look I'm a child of divorce so I have a tendency to like park things in different houses um I don't know if are you a child of divorce no my parents are still married they are still married um I've heard other people say that 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 can be a tendency where you like where things don't seem like they go together and so you just kind of like yeah makes sense compartmentalize that's that's the best word for it and I think I did that I did like here is this world that I'm involved in. That's the fashion world. And then here is this world. That's the theater world. And not that they're terribly far apart, but certainly the values and the, the, they oh, are, they, they are, are pretty, they are they're pretty easy for, they are pretty I, far apart. I didn't live in New York that long to model, but I did enough to, to leave the modeling world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, just, it's yeah. a, it's an interesting, yeah. it's an, it's a really interesting um, experience and um and so i was doing theater there for a long time and making my own performance pieces mm-hmm. um with a group of people and then and then i met dr bronner well i met dr bronner's son ralph um who wanted to do a theater piece about the famous soap company if 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 you know that bottle of, of like liquid do. soap of with the, do. the and the, so then sarah i just have to say i'm sure we'll get into it too but Sarah made a movie about Dr. Bronner. Yes. So that's what, yeah, that's yeah. what I was like getting yeah. to is, is yeah. Ralph Bronner wrote to me and said he wanted to come to town and do a performance about his father who founded this iconic soap yes. company that yes. is a really incredible company that um, in addition to making this excellent natural soap gives a lot of the profits back to the workers and to environmental causes. Actually really active in supporting um, the new psychedelics research as it, as it informs oh, trauma, by the way, which I oh, think is fascinating. Oh yeah, I want to get to that too. When Ralph was coming to town to do the soap stuff, I thought, oh, I got to document this. Um, and that was when I started making, well, that's when I made my first documentary film. And had you before been interested in film? Was your degree in film? No, I studied performance studies. And specifically, um, one of the things I was really interested in was oral history. So what I was doing early on was interviews with people that then I would stage in various ways, sometimes in more abstract ways and sometimes in more direct ways. So there's a way in which documentary is a kind of outgrowth of it. Um, And actually, if I think about what I learned in fashion, it was more about the visual side of life. Right. And so maybe that, maybe those did inform each other in a certain kind of way that I wasn't aware of at the time. Yeah. And I think I've always sort of thought about documentary as a kind of performative experience, um, which is to say that in setting out to make a film and then offering it up for people to watch, you're creating a kind of set of meaningful actions. Yeah. If that makes yeah. I'm, I'm going to get like too no, sort get of it. nerdy get about it. Perform- Nerd performance, it. but to perform something is to do something, yes. right? And then it also may have a kind of sense of a ritual act embedded in it. And it's always been interesting to me to think about, you put something in a documentary and it's not just that you're telling a story, but you're also asking people to sit and watch it. And when mm. they sit and watch it, they may be having their own bodily response and how are you moving it? 
I guess what I'm trying to say is that the documentary as a form to me is sort of the experience of it and the performance of it starts with the, all the things that happen in the making and all the way until the experience of the person who watches watching it. Yeah. So not thinking of any of that as separate or outside Mm -hmm. of the project itself. Yeah. That's a long way of talking about. I love it. That, but, but that's sort of how I think of it. And so that was your first experience, the doctor. That was my first experience. I've sort of have always thought of it as like my film school. I'm sure. How did you, did you just pick up and say, I'm going to do this? I'm going to learn how to do, I'm going to self-teach. I did. And it was crazy and it took a long time and it was, you know, I mean, the film is imperfect and, but I like it just fine. I still, and people still watch it because people still buy the soap and pick up the soap I mean, it's bottle amazing. and go like, what is this? It's a film that you made that you did. I mean, you made something. I made I something just feel like, like with it. no idea what I was doing yeah. at all. And I feel and good about that. And how old were you when that movie came uh, out? I started it in my twenties. And in fact, it was in the movie theaters the week after Juno was born. Oh, wow. And so I gave birth I couldn't, oh, you know what happened? It was, it was kind of amazing. I was in labor a day that Rachel Maddow was on Air America at that time. And she interviewed me about the soap and the, you know, about the film and it was premiering in New York, but I couldn't go because I was in California and I was pregnant, very, very pregnant. And that day she interviewed me. And then I went into labor, had the baby and a week later, like brought the baby in her little carrier with like a blanket over her so people wouldn't get their germs all over her right. to the the LA premiere of the film. There it began, right? Like the struggle of like wanting to just be with the kid, but having these emails and trying to get things done and trying to be professional, but really wanting to be with the kid, but not wanting to just be with the kid and needing to make my professional, you know, creative stuff work. I mean, from the very beginning, it was right there. Like I did, it just, the premiere like collided with the birth. Yeah. You know, it was like, I can look back now and just like, oh my gosh, it was, it it all happened at the exact same time. And so there was no spaciousness for either. There was no, I was not able to fully enjoy either one of those Mm. experiences. Mm -hmm. It just was a mishmash. Yeah. And how was it for you the first few years of her life before your son was born? Obi was born when she was two. So it wasn't okay. very, it Not wasn't, very long. it wasn't very long. I got through the, I got through like the release of the Dr. Bronner film and then was kind of like feeling like what's going to happen next? Right. What am I going to do? And I remember I did this project where I just, I mean, now you look back and I think there's a lot of this now, but then it was different. It was a different time, but I, decided I was going to write like a one-line story every day. Hmm. And it was the only thing that I could do, basically. And I called them the events and they were they were things that were actually happening in my day-to-day. So I had to like pick the the event of the day, the highlight of the day, and write it in one sentence. Wow. Can you give me a sample? I don't have, I mean, I can't think of them. I can send you one, but, um, I did it. And my intention was to do it for a year and I did it for probably nine months. Wow. And then I got pregnant with my second kid Yeah, and it all went to shit. (laughs) 
I remember like the last, the last event I did was like going to pick up the pregnancy test. And there was like a guy in the parking lot who looked dead, like a homeless person who looked dead. Were you at this Rite Aid at yeah, Sunset in yeah, Fairfax? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and that was like the last one that I wrote. And then it was like morning sickness hit and that you know, it. just That's the struggle of like the holy shit, I'm pregnant. With a toddler. With a toddler. Yeah, with like a how old was she? She was like fourteen months, something. Yeah, something like that. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. So how long was it then before you made the birth story? Cause that was the next film. So Obi was born, he was in a sling and the doula who helped birth both babies invited me over to her house and said, world famous midwife, Ina Mae Gaskin is coming over. Um, and I'm inviting a few folks over to meet her. And for Listeners who don't know who Ina May is, she is sort of the, I mean, one way we used to put it is she's the most famous midwife in the world, you know, means that she was one of the people who really helped put natural birth back on the map in the 1970s. And she did it via her position as the head of a clinic called the Farm Midwifery Clinic um, on a commune in outside of Nashville, Tennessee called The Farm. And she was working with a group of women who really wanted to, um, in their words, I guess, take back birth. And so I met Ina May and um, had been casting about looking for a project. Although, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I didn't feel like I could actually do it because I had a tiny, I mean, I had a baby, you know, yeah. on my chest. And one of my dear friends had also been reading Ina May's books. She has a book called Spiritual Midwifery and another one called Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. And Mary had been reading those books and thinking, oh, this would make a great doc. And I said, Mary, I met Ina May. And she said, well, are you going to make a film about her? I was like, I can't. And she said, well, we can do it together. I love that. And we were both, she had a small child and I had a, I had now two. And I knew there was no way we could do it. I could do it alone. Yeah. Um, and so we became a directing team and it was so rewarding. And what I loved, and this is sort of back to the performative aspect of it, is that it, it mirrored, we were mirroring the collaborative nature of the same process we were documenting, which was the yes. midwifery and the the sisterhood, really, that the midwives were um, sharing with each other and with the birthing women. Um, and there was one point where one of the midwives was watching Mary and me as we were swapping equipment and, you know, working sort of together sort of silently and in sync. And she said, Oh, you guys are just like midwives. Mm. Um, and that was just, it's just a completely great and very deep bonding experience. Um, and I used to say, because the topic came up a lot about motherhood, how, how, how do you make a film? How do you make a documentary film as a mother with young kids? And it was always very clear to me that we're stronger together mm. than apart. And that the collaborative working together meant that, you know, when her kid was puking, I could pull up the slack and then vice versa. And we had each other's backs and we had each other's backs. We understood what we were up against yeah. as moms. I've always been a big, big advocate of mothers sort of joining forces. Yeah. There's a way in which sort of two moms equals 20 women. 20. I was going to say <laughs> one regular person out in the world. <laughs> 
right. Plus, Actually, you're right. I'm no, sorry. No, no. And with like a bonus sort of superhero yes. halo around yes. them, maybe. Yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's no, like it's all, the, all the demands that are placed on you. Well, if you have somebody else in the trenches with you, it's a yes. lot easier. Not to mention yes. you can laugh and cry and yes. cry and laugh. Yes. You're stranded on the same island, yeah. as it were. Well, and also it's so isolating. I mean, before this, we, the recording, we were talking about New York versus LA because you guys are relocating back to New York and community. And the fact is, my experience and the experience of many moms that I've talked to is it is damn isolating. Yeah. From the start. Yeah. I don't think it's meant to be that way. I think it, it should just be different. We should have, you know, a huge commune like birth story where it's like, okay, you birth, you birth this child. Now you rest. We're going to make sure it eats, you know, switch around. I'll cook the food. You do this. Now you change the diaper. But that was not my experience. I was alone with a newborn for years yeah. until he was. And the isolation is what really made me feel like I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. I remember a friend of mine giving me a book um, around that same time period. I think it's called Parenting and Primates. Mm. That basically talks about what you're talking about from the lens of whatever primates they were yeah. looking at. Yeah. What they found is that when the whatever primate it was, was alone, the mother was alone mm. with the children, her well-being and the children's well-being went yeah. way down. Yeah. Um, and I remember just always thinking like, oh my gosh, this doesn't work for the monkeys. Why is it going to work for us? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I, my experience was fairly similar. Yeah. I remember there was a woman who lived nearby and she had older kids. And I just remember saying to her, like, can I, can I just bring my baby over like around four thirty, five o'clock and just like sit? Those hours were always the worst. Yeah. That kind of like afternoon. Between the nap and the into twilight. Yeah. So hard. That was the hardest. Yeah. And I remember I kept reading sleep books over and over again, like thinking I would find an answer. And and looking back, and when I say sleep books, I mean books to help regulate the baby's sleep or get him. My son was a fine sleeper. He would sleep. He took great naps. He would sleep all through the night. You know, after the first, the first few months he didn't, but he was fine, but I think I was looking for the answer to my isolation and the pain of my isolation to the sleep books because I thought I'm doing it wrong. If I can get him to sleep better, then I'll feel better. Maybe I'll sleep. Part of the problem was I wasn't sleeping. You know, people said, and I've shared this before on the show, like people said, sleep while the baby's sleeping. And I couldn't because I would pop awake when he would put him down because it was like, oh, now I can do that. I know they say sleep when the baby's sleeping and you're like, and give up my only free yeah, time. Yeah. You're married. Uh, how does this, and you're also married to a man who is an, an artist and, mm -hmm. and a filmmaker as well. Mm -hmm. So he lives that fluctuating schedule life, that traveling life. Like how do you guys make that work? I think it's hard. It's a, ch it's a challenge over the years. I think one of the things that's helped the most is that the kids have gotten older. And so traveling is less of a burden on all of us, meaning we can, we can travel as a group, yeah. which we couldn't do very easily before. Also, one of us, either him or now me, can leave and the person at home doesn't feel like it's just like an impossible like task. Like they're drowning. Yeah. 
Because that was the hard part. I mean, that was the hard part for years is that if he would go out of town and then I would really feel like I just couldn't, you know, you have to get your systems put into place, make sure that you have your, a lot of it came down to food for me, like making sure that I had easy ways to get healthy food. So now I'm in a place where when he goes out of town for two or three weeks, I go right to like the deli counter and get like a bunch of healthy salads and some juices and like just take the pressure off to have to come up with. Yes. I mean, I think food nurturing myself with like some vegetables, (laughs) you know, is a big or go going and going and getting a bunch of soups. Yeah. And just being like, okay, I'm eating soup. Yeah. Because otherwise it's so easy to just neglect. I mean, I remember I'm just, you're saying that I remember when my son was little, I think I would eat like a Trader Joe's frozen mac and cheese once a day. And I remember doing that for like 14 days. That's all I ate. I just wasn't eating. I just wasn't. You know, and just like cheese sticks. Like I'll have another mozzarella cheese stick. And just not thinking, because I just couldn't get it. Well, and they don't want to eat what you want to eat anyway, right? So it's like, sure, you can make a delicious kale salad, but like they're not going to, you're going to make that for yourself. Yeah. Like what is next for you, creatively speaking? We're just at the beginning of the thank you for coming distribution process. So um, this fall, it will um, be out in various capacities. Um, And I think I'm actually going to be doing something kind of similar to what you're doing, Jennifer, which is hosting a series of conversations, all of which have to do with genealogy, sperm donors, egg donors, you know, assisted reproduction, people who are late discovery adoptees, all people who are trying to make sense of new information as it relates to their family lives, talking to people who have donated sperm, people, you know, looking at the issue from a lot of different angles. But I'm wondering if I actually want you to promote that because I'm, it's not up and running yet, but I guess you can. Here's what I'm working on. I'm fleshing out the all the bonus materials that have to do with thank you for coming. And so putting together all the bonus scenes and also having these um, additional conversations with people, with scholars. There's a great woman um, who I met at Yale Medical School who is a medical historian who's going to give us some context for egg donation and sperm donation and DNA testing, all that stuff, meeting some super interesting people. And talking, having more honest conversations about family and the changing uh, look of family today. I mean, we've got, there are a lot of people doing a lot of new things in terms of the way that they're creating families and, um, and living with children. Yeah. There's some stuff like I read um, this article about families in Canada where people who don't know each other are getting together not to date, but to have children. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. So platonic parenting arrangements. Wow. Uh-huh. That's another reality show yeah. I'd like to watch. I know, right? Well, it's it's an interesting time. Yeah. It's an interesting time. And and people are people are tuning into the idea that that maybe kids want to know who they're biologically related to. Sure. And then there's parenting from the LGBTQ perspective and points of view and how are they building their families? And that's, it's all very interesting. So I'm going to be doing more work 
around that. Um, and the, the, the theme is really what I said earlier, which is sort of like, how do we, how do we bring love into these conversations about family and about what they mean? And, and how do we hold the, the offspring's point of view? Um, without knowing what it is yet, because they're not grown, right? And sure. they may still be a twinkle in somebody's eye. But how do we think about what they may need down the line, and how, and what those um, early conversations might look like to help them build a sense of self and a sense of family narrative? Um, that's what I'm going to be working on in the fall. Wow, that's so exciting! Is that like a that was a long? It was. Perfect. It's perfection. Oh, good. And do you have a name for your podcast yet? Well, it'll be called Thank You for Coming. Okay, great. So the film is called Thank You for Coming, and the website is thankyouforcomingmovie.com. And all of the all of our stuff will be routed through there, or easily accessed through there. Great. So if people want to get in touch with you or find you, that's yeah, where they should find that's you. Where they Thank you for coming.com. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you for coming movie.com. Thank you for coming movie. Dot com. Yes, okay. and there they can watch the trailer. Oh, great. And that'll be included in our show notes. Um, right. If you go to milfpodcast.com, you can find it all there. Sarah Lamb, I can't thank you enough for coming today. Um, this has been such a pleasure. And we're now at the time where every episode I ask my guests three questions, and then I have a little lightning round of questions that you have to answer. Rapid fire. I couldn't think of the term. The first of three questions is, what do you think about when you hear the word MILF? I think about you, Jennifer. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Best answer ever. <laughs> okay. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? This is very shallow, but I decided to wear these pants after having hated them for a really <laughs> long time. What, what made you change your mind? I'm packing up all my stuff to move to New York, and I just thought, I have to wear these clothes or else I'm going to throw them away and, or give them away. And if I don't put them on and feel good about them, I'm going to get rid of them. But that's a little bit of a stretch. So you put something on, and then you try to feel good in it. And so you're like, I'm, this isn't so bad. These pants are great. Yeah, I love it. How do you define success? I think ultimately it has to do with a sense of well-being, a sense of connectedness with people and other sentient beings around me, and a sense of doing meaningful work. Yeah, and that's shifted from a long time ago mm. where I might have had ideas of, you know, success equals a page about me and my work in the New York Times, mm. which is always sort of the only, it's still at this day, yeah. it's like, oh, the New York Times, yeah. if they say you're great, the then ultimate. you're great. Yeah. Um, that's totally shifted now. Yeah. Do I feel well and am I able to contribute to the well being of the people around me? Mm. Awesome. All right. You ready for some silliness? Oh my gosh. Silly questions. Wait. Okay. All right. Beach or desert? Desert. Netflix binge or fresh novel? Netflix. Go to the movies or go to a play? Play. Daytime sex or nighttime sex? Daytime. Texting or talking? Talking. Cat person or dog person? Cat person. Massage or yoga? Oh, massage. Shower or bathtub? Bathtub. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at ping pong? Two. If you could push a button and it would make everyone in the world 7% happier, but it would also place a worldwide ban on all hairstyling products, would you push it? Yes. 
Superpower choice, invisibility or ability to fly? Oh, I always read about this one. Ability to fly. Would you rather have a penis where your tailbone is or a third eye? A third eye. What was the name? <laughs> Who wants a penis where their <laughs> tailbone is? But I should I should clarify. This is a fully working penis. It can become erect, and it's have- a fully working penis yeah. that you derive pleasure from. Sure, or a third, a third eye, eye in the kind of spiritual context. No, no, like a literal third eye in your forehead. Oh, that would make you seem like you're on Star Trek. Yep. Oh, oh, interesting. You'd have to take care of your penis, though. You'd have to. Well, what do you mean? Like, is it circumcised? So is you have to clean it extra? You'd have to like make sure it was frequently humped. I mean, you'd have to do things with it. It would it would it want would it want things from you? Just jumped up and down in your chair like you're my my tailbone penis would want things from me. It might. I don't know. Oh god. It's your penis, not mine. I I, I'm gonna stick with a third eye. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that one. What was the name of your first pet? Cleopatra. What was the name of the street you grew up on? Gunnison Place. So your poor name? Cleopatra Gunnison. Yeah. Pretty good. Cleopatra Gunnison, thank you for coming on the MILF podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Head on over to milfpodcast.com. Give us your email so we can keep you apprised of all things MILFy. And also you can get show notes, transcripts of each show and tweetable quotes. If something resonated with you and you want to tweet it. Thanks so much for listening.